0: Hi, this is the Organisational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organizational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organizational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. Welcome back. And as part of our series about neurodiversity, I'm joined again by Janet Morgan. And I'm going to just have a look at a piece of research that we published and sent out to our members a few years ago around how our mood and productivity is directly affected by different forms of communication. And this really speaks into some of the neurodiversity issues that individuals and organizations are facing. This was published in 2016. The basis of it is that at A team of computer scientists use technology to anonymously measure the psychological state of a group of workers at a night company in Italy to see how the multiple channels of communication organizations, things like email, text, documents, chats, face-to-face meetings, and those kinds of interactions actually affect people on a day-to-day basis. Now, the study can be used to better help functions like human resource professionals in designing job descriptions, but also managers and in form as how certain people can work better according to a whole series of dispositions and that includes neurodiversity and it's well known that some people find certain forms of communication less stressful or more stressful than others. I've got a friend for example who's got Asperger's and she prefers to talk on the phone than face to face as she kind of understands the tone of the voice far better than she does body language. She finds body language confusing and other aspects of face-to-face communication are problematic. And that includes things like Zoom. Now, whilst people with conditions such as autism are all different, and we've explored that with Janet in the previous thing, there are some kind of preferences that are similar, obviously, across certain conditions. Now, given that many people with autistic traits work in IT due to its complexity and limited <laughs> face-to-face interaction, it's long been assumed that people with autistic traits have chosen a career in IT for this very reason. Our report in 2013 found that a small number of companies including the German software giant SAP, are actively seeking out employees with autistic spectrum disorders, exactly because of their ability to intensely focus on things, their attention to detail, and their ability to be able to think differently than the vast majority of people within the organization. Now, the research that was published in the journal PLOS One gives a very firm steer on the communication preferences of who likes to communicate and how they do that. Now, the research was based on a study of 52 people in an Italian company and they were given what were known as sociometric badges now these badges measured a whole series of things including their body movements during the day what's known as prosodic speech features so things like pitch and timber their proximity co-location with other members so it worked out how close they were to other people at any moment in time and also things like face-to-face interactions that they were engaging in and they had to wear the badges at work during the workday over a period of 30 days for a month during which their mood was also being assessed throughout the day. Now, these specially designed and made badges enabled the researchers to anonymously collect data on interpersonal relations on a (laughs) continual basis whilst these people were at work. Further, all the participants were assessed in terms of personality traits. Now, in addition, 119 other people had their mobile phones tracked over 26 working days. Now, obviously, with permission, they knew that this was happening. And they also had their moods tracked daily, as well as their personality traits being assessed. Now, the first thing that the researchers found was that the association between network diversity and subjective well-being is dependent on individual differences in communication modes. Now, what this means is that how we feel at work significantly depends on a mixture of our personality and preferences and the type of communications that we're having to engage in on a kind of continual basis. Now, specifically, they found that the diversity of communication is beneficial only for certain personality types in some communication types, whilst not beneficial for other personality types. So for example, what we're talking about here, diversity in phone call is experienced as good by introverts. They found that when introverted people connect with a diverse range of other people on the phone, they tend to experience what's known as positive affect. And what we mean by that is that they feel good. What this also means is that the opposite effect tended to occur for extroverts, who when faced with a range of phone calls tended to have affect or negative feelings as a result of it. They didn't like that over an extended period. So in terms of face-to-face communication, the researchers found that this was less of a personality issue and more of an outlook issue. People with a positive outlook tend to feel a positive effect or set of emotions by regular and diverse face-to-face interactions, where those with a more pessimistic or negative outlook tend to feel more stressed by face-to-face interactions. Now, previously, research has found that those with the most diverse networks of people that they're having to communicate with and forms of communication preferences tend also to do better economically than those who prefer a less diverse network and prefer fewer channels of communication. Now, what this means for organizations. So apart from the specific findings about the effects that types of communication, for example, phone calls, emails, face-to-face, and so on, have on different people, there is another important message here. And that is that there are some people who comfortable with and prefer to operate with a wider range of types of communication channels than others. These broadband individuals tend also to prefer a mix of communication types and work better when they have a range of types of channel to play. Now, these people will tend to experience stress if they're limited in the range of communication types that they can use during their workday. For example, an organisational emphasis on email as the preferred communication method at the expense of other methods like phone calls and face-to-face communication. Problems. Other people, however, have definitive communication preferences due to their personality outlook and other attributes. These people become stressed if they have to operate outside of their preferred channel for any extended period. I just want to bring Jana in now and ask about your response to this from a neurodiversity point of view. What do you think?
1: It's a really interesting piece of research, and my mind is going to clients that I've worked with and managers that I've spoken about in terms of what are the performance issues that are coming up. So the idea of preferences is an interesting one. And I guess I tie that in with this idea of thinking about a battery thinking about a cognitive battery and thinking about all these different ways of communicating and some of them are going to drain your battery and some of them are going to recharge your battery and when you are neurodivergent so you are dyslexic for example if you have email as the default and if you have for example two people sitting a meter away from each other and they have to email each other rather than someone getting up and going to speak to them and we know how that happened before so social distancing, that's going to drain your battery all of the time, endless number of emails. If that's prescriptive and you are far better in terms of how you communicate orally, then that actually is going to affect all sorts of things. So I definitely see how the research can be looked at through the lens of neurodiversity. I guess I want to take a step back because you also talked about, I guess, people's mood in the workplace and talking about, you know, their well-being and your early experiences of different types of communication are going to impact on how you feel when you come into the workplace. So if you come into a workplace and the expectation is to communicate in a particular way, there's a potential there for some anxiety about that. So if you have to be in a meeting and there is lots of note-taking, then that might create anxiety in you. Or if you're not going to remember what happened in that meeting and you're not able to record and use some form of assistive technology, then that's going to induce, invoke some anxiety in you. So I think exploring the preference and Why that preference is there is particularly important. A lot of time, people with neurodivergent are seen as the awkward squad. Why do you need this? Why do you need two screens? Why have you got to have a room to work in? Why can't I have that? And often people can't articulate that. But if we think about, and I'm just thinking back to what you were saying and talking about sort of representations in particular types of industry. So, you know, the research is that when we look at entrepreneurs, you see a lot of people who are neurodivergent who are entrepreneurs, people who have ADHD people who are dyslexic and often it is because you can control those communication channels don't have to follow the rules of having lots of email you can do things differently you can be very visual you know Steve Jobs is always the person that people talk about and how you know the design of Apple very much suited the dyslexic way of thinking so the more restrictions that are put on you that are incongruent with the way that you take in information I think the more stress this going to be. And I guess picking up on the autism piece as well, if you have all communication channels coming at you, that's going to put you in overload, that's put you in sensory overload. So a lot of the time, the preference is for the channel that works, the channel that's efficient, the channel that lands on you in a way that makes you feel safe, the channel that allows you to think and respond. And so a lot of what we might call the masking behaviours of autistic people in the workplace, where they might that's fine. Yes, I can do that absolutely we're not seeing the impact of that internally or you know a passive response a non-response some behavior where it becomes a behavioral issue because there hasn't been that awareness of the fact that we're overwhelming our colleagues now and if I can just say one more thing I think it's also about noticing how people communicate as well so sometimes if you have dyslexia and you've got a thought or ADHD, sometimes you may need to just get that thought out straight away. And so what that might mean is it may not come out grammatically perfect and coherent, but the idea that's in there is absolutely brilliant. And if they don't get it out, they'll forget. So, you know, writing is a very good and slow process for a lot of people. The ideas may be very, very sound. And so you need a communication medium that allows you to do that and that's where a lot of the innovation and the problem solving can come from.
0: Yeah it sounds like certainly what I've seen in organizations is kind of a regimentation of communication methods or a culture has grown up you know I, I did some work in the financial industry and they seemed everything was done by email and I kind of looked at it and went, what and that the ability of people to be able to customize the way that they're working the way that they're communicating rather than trying to make everything neat and regimented. Seems to be key here. I
1: think so. And I think there's another piece here as well. There's also the informal communication. So, if your preference, you were talking about being on the telephone, if that's your preference because face to face is difficult for you and all the deals are done in the pub or in certain other public spaces, then where does that leave you? Where does that leave you in terms of your career progression? So it's how do you create opportunities again for people to be visible? So we might say, fine, if you want to be on the phone, then you don't be on the phone, but then you're excluded from other things that are taking place elsewhere in the organization. So I think, again, there's that sort of double aspect to what that might be, being aware of people's preferences, but also creating opportunities for colleagues to add value.
0: Yeah, and I think some of these kind of rules around communication are cultural as well, they may not be laid down by the organization, but it's kind of evolved over time and it's very difficult for an individual who doesn't quite suit that culture to then start to fit in, I suppose.
1: I see that all the time. And I mean, who cares that a meeting has to last for an hour? And, you know, again, if you've got a different relationship with them, how you work may be very different in that respect. So we know we need deadlines in organisations. We know we need some type of order and management in organisations. But are we agile and flexible enough yeah. to work with people Are going to push at the boundaries a little bit, or just going to bring in a different way of doing things. They may get their cut doing it their way. So I think I agree with you there. That the regimentation, even for organisations who might not see themselves that way, and the larger the organisation gets, the bigger the need becomes to have systems and processes that work for most. But we could think differently, as with, you know, the pandemic. And all of a sudden, now we're all teams aficionados. But what's happening now is people are having team meeting after team meeting after team meeting. So, what about the fatigue there for people who are neurodivergent, who are on endless online meetings, for everybody, actually? But I have a client who was saying to me that working with blurred screens, she's autistic, working with the blurred screen is completely draining for her. It completely throws her. And so, there is some sensory overload when people come into the picture and you've got the blurred background going on there. So we find these wonderful innovations and they may work for most of us or we may need to do things quickly but we need to pause for a second and we need to check in with ourselves to make sure that we see what the impact might be. It's
0: interesting it's almost as if organisations, managers, there are different levels of diversity going on here so there's the diversity of the people in terms of the way that they see things the way that they think and clearly this a lot of it showing that things like innovation occur best in situations where there are diverse mindsets, diverse thinking going on. But also there's diversity of working processes, diversity communication processes, diversity of technology and as well that also needs to be managed in all of this. And I think what we'll do is we'll examine that in a further podcast.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Great. Right. Thank you very much, Janet. See you in. Thank you for listening to the Oxford Review podcast. For free research briefings, audio and video research briefings, research infographics, and a whole lot more, visit Oxford-Review.com. That's Oxford-Review.com. And please, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you.